Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is filmmaker Jed Shepard. Welcome to the show. Hey, Stuart. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, just to give people some context, and just because it's so, I guess, so close to the date of when I saw you and now we're talking. So two days ago, yep. there was the first University of Greenwich screening uh, mm-hmm. with Q&A, and your film host was playing and Prano Bailey Bond did a, did a Q and a with you, which was a, a really interesting session. How lucky am I to have a, a master filmmaker like Prano ask me the questions? <laughs> um, you know, for when Sensor came out, I think I interviewed her about five times because, uh, because there's not that many kind of horror films that have kind of broken out over the last few years. I was the go-to person. So, and everyone thought I was, uh, like they were the only ones to ask me to interview Prano, but it ended up being everyone asking me. So I felt like I saw Sensor more times than I saw Hosts in the last few years. But um, I love Sensor, so that's fine. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's a great film. Yeah. And and for me, it was the first time seeing Host on the big screen, and it was oh, the nice. first time I'd yeah. seen it since I'd watched it in lockdown when it first hit Shudder. So it's kind Amazing. of a. It was kind of like, yeah, I kind of, you know, when you've forgotten enough about a film, I mean, you've got yeah. the memory of the film, obviously, but you've forgotten enough about it that it felt like I was watching a new film again. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Because I swear, I swear, Jed, I don't, I didn't remember. I mean, I remember the woman hovering over the pool, mm-hmm. but I didn't remember as much like creature stuff in it. I just remember, you know, yeah. and so it was great. That was all, that was all fresh again to me. It was amazing. Yeah, it's you, you know, I think because of we did, made it a lockdown, it came out of lockdown, and most people watched it in lockdown. Those kind of memories have been kind of pushed back into the, into the you know, to the archives of the mind. Mm. So, um, yeah, and watching it on the big screen is a whole different vibe. It's, um, every, 
people don't realize how cinematic it actually is, even though it's over Zoom, like some of the stuff we managed to pull off. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it was really interesting watching. I only, I only came in for the last 10, 15 minutes, but it was really interesting um, seeing people's reactions and, uh, and where people get scared, where people find it funny. Uh, I always, always love seeing it with a big audience. Yeah, and I must have, actually, that's probably the bigger thing is watching it. It's the first time I've also watched it with an audience. Yeah. Because I did watch it on my own, and which while that is fun to watch films on your own, mm-hmm. there is there is something else that happens to the magic of a movie when yeah. you're in the room. Even if you're not having the same reaction, it's entertaining yeah. on, a, on a different level when people are reacting to the film. And, and clearly there was people in there who'd not seen it for the, who were seeing it for the first time. And when they were jumping, it was it was it was as entertaining as the film, you know, just to be in that kind of moment. Yeah, there, there, there was a uh, a lady behind me who she, she said something along the lines of, "I thought that was going to be shit, but it wasn't. It was good because ah! <laughs> she she must have been she must have been dragged there by a friend or something." He said, oh, yeah, it's like this Zoom movie. So this lady probably was like, oh, this is going to be nonsense, uh, low-budget nonsense. It's low-budget, but it definitely isn't nonsense. It's, um, yeah, it's just it's just entertaining. And, you know, I still get things out of watching it too. Um, yeah, I, I've watched it a million times, but, like, I still find it fun. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I guess the thing, seeing it on the big screen compared to not, was I'd, I'd not really made the comparison with Say Something Like It Follows in the way that... Yeah you're watching more than just the actors. You're watching the whole screen. You're waiting. Mm-hmm. You've met, you've primed us by about 15 minutes into the seance to be looking for everything, yeah. not just yeah. what the people are doing, which obviously most film is about who's the subject and what mm-hmm. are they doing? What's their point of view and why, why are they bothered? Whereas suddenly you're going, yeah. all bets are off. Yeah. The whole screen you've got to look at. <laughs> you, you have to, you, you know, you could watch that movie and I wish we had the foresight to do this there should be an option where you could just pick one of the cast just to follow the entire time and just watch her window because there's stuff going on everywhere. And like each has, has their own kind of journey throughout the entire film. Um, I mean, Emma has probably the, the craziest journey because she sees the most stuff, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's this, this stuff I notice every time I watch it, just reactions uh, from the cast and, I say the cast, they're, you know, they're just my mates. I was literally just speaking to Emma just just now. Uh, she'd just done an audition for uh, some some big show. Mm. And uh, she sent me some uh, very filtered pictures to look at. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, no, it's it's fun. It, it's a fun film and, and, I, and I love watching it. We're going to talk about three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. But before we do... I'd like to continue some of the conversation you were having with Prano about the process of, of filmmaking, in particular the yeah. writing of, because not only are you developing movies, you've also developed a, I mean, is it, is it a game, interactive movie game? It's going yeah. to be on platforms, isn't it? It's going to be like a, on PSs yeah. and Xboxes and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's called Ghost. It's a live action video game. It's um, along the lines of this much maligned game called Night Trap. Uh which uh, came out on the Mega CD or Sega CD um, if you're in the in uh, Japan or America, and um, yeah, it's coming out in all formats: play, uh, PS4, PS5, um, Steam. Um, okay, uh, you know, well, well, just no, no, Switch. So, so it's not a film, is what I mean. Is like I'm trying. I'm just want to because what I wanted to talk to you about is 
the difference between yeah. the difference between writing for film and writing for a game. Um, yeah, with a film, we've got like a we've got a clear constraint, i.e., the runtime, and that might be mm-hmm. governed by budget. It might be governed by the producer. It might, you know, it, there's all kinds of reasons why the the runtime will be determined. But with a video game, you're playing it, so yeah. The runtime isn't so much isn't so much, and you can play a game for hours, you know, and maybe never finish it. So, you, yeah, I mean, you, usually that's correct, but I I also have constraints in the game as well, um, where the game is locked, where you can only play it at ten pm. Um, so it's uh, it has this unique feature that no okay. no other game's ever had, where if you try to play the game at nine fifty nine, you wouldn't be able to, um, and then it hits ten pm. And then it starts because the conceit is you're the producer director of a TV show, um, like a spooky TV show. And that TV show starts at 10 p.m. So the game starts at 10 p.m. And then you find yourself in the outside broadcast van outside a haunted house with uh, the hosts of this TV show, which are um, Alice Lowe and Scroobius Pip. They're introducing the show. And you've got lots of stuff to do in the outside broadcast van. You have, you have, you have all these a million cameras inside every room of this haunted house, and then the you know the the people turn up who are going to go into the haunted house, and it's the host girls, and uh, they get introed and uh, they go in, and you and your job is to keep the show entertaining, make sure it doesn't get taken off the air. You also have to send Alice uh, to, down the road to all the, all the neighbors' houses to collate information. You've got all this stuff happening inside the van as well. You've got to do all this admin. It's more exciting than making it sound. Then you've got the. Um, so, you're, got, so essentially, uh, you're forcing us to be sort of be Ghost Watch. It, it's it's basically an interactive Ghost Watch. Yeah, so amazing. Hundred percent is. And then you've got this big long creature called the Long Lady, who um, the urban legend is if you see her face, you die, and uh, she's skulking around in the background in places. Um, but it's really like the slow release of information um, throughout the storyline, storylines. Mm. That is where you've got to get the satisfaction because the, the aim is to figure out if ghosts really exist, ghosts are real. And um, throughout the journey you, you take as this producer-director, uh, you will discover what the real story is. Um, and my, my influence is... You know, Nigel, Nigel Neal, um, uh, old British kind of sixties and seventies you know, TV shows, mm. and um, yeah, and uh, well, then, well, that, well I, think, mass. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting then that you have created you have created constraints that don't normally exist within a video game, but certainly mm-hmm. the difference between a video game and a film is that when I watch a film, I don't have any choices, and yeah. you as the creator get to determine. The release of information, mm-hmm. how I, um, you don't determine, I understand it, um, yeah. as uh, as was evidenced in the Q and A. So it was quite interesting. One of the questions you got was, "What was this?" I'm like, I'm thinking it was in the film. The answer to that, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> so with that in mind, when you're writing for a game where you're not control, you're only controlling what they can access, but you're not controlling whether they'll access it. Yeah. Um, whereas in a film, obviously, you're going to show something, and it's like, here's a clue. Yeah. This is the legend of a whatever you know. So. Mm-hmm. How do you? What's the difference in approach to write, developing that as a script for a game versus a script for a film? Um, the script of the game is 
it's a lot more complicated and layered than than a film. So mm. it's essentially potentially like writing twenty different films all concurrent with the same characters. Yeah. Um, and it's the, the frustrating element is you put so much work into something that probably no one will see or very few people will see because you've got the main storyline that you want everyone to kind of follow. Mm. But then there's, you have to do myriad other storylines as well in case someone chooses that way. But the, but the aim of the game is to, because you're the producer director, you have to make sure the show is entertaining as possible because it's a failing show. It's a final failing cable channel in the UK and um, you see the, the figures of how many people are watching. If it drops out under a certain number, your show's pulled off the air. So okay. um, you have to keep sending the best live feed from all the information you've got yeah. uh, to, to, to live, basically. But you see everything. You see every room. You see, and the, the ladies from the cast from host, they're able to go anywhere in the house and interact with each other. And when they interact with each other, you find out more, more things about them. There's so much going on. Like people will be playing this game for years and years and years and years and just discover new things. Um, and like host or dash cam, like we left an element of improvisation as well. So, you know, even I wouldn't know what they'd come up with or where they would see a ghost. And obviously we, we rigged this house to um, uh, help them uh, see ghosts and for, for things to happen. So uh, they were in the dark a lot as well. So writing it, sometimes it's um, kind of a, what happens in the house is a surprise to me too. So I jump off from that point and, and write a little storyline about something that they've said. Hmm. It's, you know, it's a real collaborative process. I mean, is, 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 is it, I mean, obviously, I mean, in basic, you know, basic computer programming is usually like a flowchart of a yes, no, yes, no. And if you go no, then that's, that begins to send you down a different route, doesn't it? And that, yeah. and it can come back on itself, obviously, or it can yes. find, I mean, is that, so that, so I could choose arguably the wrong route first, yeah, but still through other choices, get back on track almost. Yeah. That's the, that's the only possible way you're able to do it and it fit on a Nintendo Switch cartridge. You can't just have them do absolutely anything, <laughs> like decide to go to the shops and then you spend the entire game in Sainsbury's. Um, but like we've, we've, we've given you the illusion of ultimate choice. Yeah. Even though, um, you know, it, there is only a set number of choices you can do. But um, yeah, it's, it's looking at 10 p.m. means that everyone in the country plays the game. Everyone in your time zone can play the game at the same time and experience things at the same time as you. So you can share that information with each other. And uh, yeah, and then you've got, if you you fail, then you have to wait for 24 hours so you can play it again. You bastard. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's my first game. So I I want it to be interesting and... and, and and the beauty is I don't really have anyone telling me what I can and can't do. And because I've never made a game before, it's I don't have any rules. I'm sticking, but I don't know what the rules are. I'm okay. just like, okay, let, let's lock the game at 10 p.m. And everyone's like, that's not been done before. And I'm like, well, let's do it then. And, and there's other stuff in the game like that as well, where we've really tested the limit of, of, of what you can do. And um, it's really the Nintendo Switch version that's kind of, um, cause some of the constraints because that has the smallest amount of 
um, space on on on. Okay. The, so uh, we we've had to make it work on the Nintendo Switch, which uh, it does. Yeah, uh, it's, well, it's so cool. Now, one last question: Thinking of the constraints that mm-hmm. you come up against, yeah. What what can, could you could you give an example of a constraint that then led to a revelation that became good? So the constraint initially was oh shit. And then, but actually what the solution became was like, ah, that's enhanced the game now. Yeah, well, it's just when you, when the game developers say you have X amount of space uh, left, you have to, you know, you have to think on your feet. You can't, um, you have, the game has to end at some point. Mm. There has to be an end point. It can't be an an open-ended game because we're working with linear time um, in theory. So, um, and it's a live TV show as well. That, that's mm. the premise. So that, that's a big constraint that it's live. You can't just go back and say, hey, it's 20 minutes earlier or, or fast forward into the future. Um, but then it, just, it makes it feel more authentic. That's the revelation that this feels so authentic and like you are really working on a live show because this outside broadcast fan has all the stuff you'd have inside an outside broadcast fan. Um, you have emails you have to check. You have you have all these sound files. You have to deal with, you know, people coming into the outside broadcast and hassling you. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's. I think it's unlike any other game that's ever been out there. And yeah, maybe I mean, nobody and just, will ever do one again like this because it's possi- quite, a lot of work. Quite possibly. But also, you, you, you know, one of the complaints, certainly in the TV world, mm-hmm. is we've lost the water cooler moment because nobody's watching that show yeah. at eight o'clock on a Sunday night anymore because they'll yeah. watch it whenever they damn well want, or they might mm-hmm. watch it six months after the fact. Yeah. Whereas what you're do- what you're doing with this this device you've created within the gameplay is mm-hmm. you've kind of you've forced le- the thing that the internet opened up of like we could do everything non-linear. You've gone hold on a minute. Yeah. The whole I mean I guess what you're saying is the success of Ghost Watch was mm-hmm. when them phones were ringing. People are going, oh my god! You know, the whole, the there was people in the country who were seeing this for real. Mm-hmm. Is what made it an event. I mean, it's yes. still enjoyable to watch after the fact, but for those, I mean, I wasn't lucky enough. For the those lucky enough that sat there in 1992 and thought something had gone wrong on their telly, mm-hmm. it must have blew their tiny minds. Exactly. Yeah, and and there's lots lots of ghost watch DNA like in this. We have a we have a live phone number as well, but I won't say too much about that. Because again, this is playing in real time in real life, so mm. phone numbers work. Uh, there's there's so much that leaks into real life. Mm. I, I don't want to spoil things, but it's uh, yeah, and you know, and Alice Lowe is playing Alice Lowe, and Scroobius Pip is playing Scroobius Pip. Perfect. It's them presenting the show. Michael Parkinson and Sarah Green. If, if I if I could get <laughs> Michael Parkinson and Sarah Green, I, like I definitely would have. Like I almost like Yvette Fielding wanted to be in it. She she was talking to me a lot. We were, I was going to put her in. I might still put her in it somewhere, um, maybe. And that, that's the beauty that it's my my game, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do kind of do what I want. And there's going to be updates as well every now and again with, with extra things. So um, yeah, there's it's a real experience. But the but the my aim for all of this is really to kind of create a universe of of like everything's connected. Yeah. Um, so games, films, TV shows, comics, like everything I do is kind of connected in some kind of way. Thank you for sharing that. I know it's we're a long way. We're not, we're not like weeks before people are going to be able to see this, but thank you for sharing right. mm-hmm. uh, the process. Because I think that, that kind of in, 
I mean, I certainly didn't appreciate that that level of invention, but also the fact that you've you've gone. They're the rules, okay. Well, can I have this rule? Um, yeah. And they've not said no. You've kind of been able to develop it and experiment, and then suddenly, when you t- when you say it back to me, like what you've the frame what you've got, it's like, wow, okay, I can see, <laughs> you can see how that creates yeah. the moment. Um, exactly. So- yeah. And 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 I think it's maybe the confidence of of when host came out. That's what I had the confidence to do something a little bit out of my. Uh, area of expert expertise and um and off the back of that like i've been offered other games as well like legit famous game franchises um so yeah so it's, it's a world that i'm gonna keep keep playing in um mm. for a little while yeah um, i mean i recently i recently interviewed uh york to who's got a game coming out called the last worker in fact it's the latest episode okay. of the podcast as we speak this very second and he's a filmmaker and he's a game designer and yeah. he's not, he doesn't define himself as one or the other. It's, mm-hmm. I saw him speak at the focus conference back in December in Islington. And he was talking mm-hmm. about how he basically, he did like almost like a click. I think it was like a clickbait talk where it was like, games are going to save game. Game writing is going to save cinema or something like that. It was, it was a real sort of. Wow. <laughs> maybe, maybe with the, with the advent of like VR, because um, I think that's the future of filmmaking. I mean, it was like I say, it was it was more of a kind of to get people in the room. And then when he talked to he, yeah. he, he could talk about the separate things, but I think yeah. him being a person that was involved with both was the surprise to most people in the room. And obviously, you're doing the same kind of cross, yeah. cross crossover. Well, just 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 quickly, the the I would say one of the the problems with with kind of games in the past, maybe not in the last five years, but in the past is um, it wasn't film writers, it wasn't filmmakers write or screenwriters writing games. It, it, it was, you know, game developers essentially, or mm. game creators who don't have an experience writing film or TV or anything who would write the storyline. And you know, that, that if you get someone who's worked with story for, for a little while, who know how to structure a story, writing a game, then the game becomes even more rich. I, I feel I'm not saying that you know game developers can't write video games. I'm sure they can. But if you have someone whose job it is to to write a story, then um, surely the game will be will have a better story in theory. Yeah, yeah. No, so, especially, especially that just yeah. the, the basic notion of you know set up and payoff, set up and payoff. And yeah. if you've got multiple payoffs, then you've also got to have multiple setups. That oh man, there's could... so many payoffs. There's, there's so many payoffs in, in, in Ghosts. There's so many. You know, a bit like host, like you set everything up, you set everything up, and then slowly everything pays off. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited for everyone to play it. Uh, I'm obviously playing demos to test it, and like it's really cool for me. Just again, seeing all my friends on screen, um, getting into mischief again. Indeed, indeed. Well, look, well, we'll be excited for when that that goes live. But for now, we're going to now talk about three films that have impacted everything in adult life. And mm. for those people that don't know the format, Jed, I'm just going to end for your benefit too, as you're sat here yeah. talking to me. Um, it's a very simple format. You've given me three films. I'll prompt you with each title, but there's mm. a little bit of jeopardy involved. We've only got five minutes. And when the mm. bell goes and you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next film. Okay. <laughs> does that sound like, does that make sense to you? It does, yes. The clock is ticking. I'm going to do them in the order you gave them. So, I mean, I'll prompt you. So I'm, the, the films you obviously love. 
So mm-hmm. I don't think whatever order I did them in, it wouldn't matter, I don't think. Yeah. But I'll do them in the order they came to me on the email. So the first one in the list is 1984's Night of the Comet. Do you want to talk to how, I mean, how do you discover that? You're not, you're not seeing that in 1984, yeah. are you? No. So um, Night of the Comet, for those that don't know, is a, a film from 1984 about two, two sisters who uh, end up being survivors of a, an apocalyptic event. A comet passes over Earth, Haley's Comet, in fact, and kills everyone, fries everyone, turns them to red dust. Some people were only slightly affected and they turned into zombies. So it's these two sisters in the end of the world situation fighting zombies. Some people from the government have survived and government come after them to try and uh, get something from their blood because they survived. So um, I actually love this film. When I first saw it, I think it was on Channel 4. I was prob- It was probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. When I saw it on Channel 4. Um, and I was up real late. It was probably a Friday night. And uh, it's when they used to have announcers. And the announcer said, next up is Night of the Comet, the story of blah, blah, just what I said. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So, you know, I thought I'd just watch it as I'm falling asleep. Ended up watching it all the way through and then becoming obsessed with it straight away because um, it is one of the best written... Uh, it has the best written dialogue like I've ever seen in a movie. It, it's very, very fast-paced dialogue, and um, it's just funny as well. And, it, and it's wish fulfillment, like all these post-apocalyptic films. And um, the, the mix of comedy and horror is something you'll see throughout my three choices. Um, it's something like I, I really, really, really desperately love. And um, the, the the central characters, played by Catherine Mary Stewart and and Kelly Maroney, uh, they just really appeal to me, like those two sisters. And they because they, they do the things that normally you, you don't see in these kind of post-apocalyptic movies, which is they don't straight away go off chasing zombies and killing them and, and going on these big adventures. They go to the mall and raid the mall and, and try on clothes and dance. The girls just want to have fun, which is what I would do. Um, so I just love it. And then, um, you know, in, in recent years, I've befriended pretty much the entire cast and the director. And, um, um, yeah, I've got to hang out with, with, with Kelly Maroney, Catherine Mary Stewart a bunch of times. And, you know, it's, it's, re- it's really fun to just have my favorite, cause it's my favorite film of all time. Just every now and again, I get a, a text from Catherine Mary Stewart, just with a picture of her with Kelly saying, we're thinking of you. And uh, yeah, it, it just it just feels really good, really surreal. And that is um, surreal. I mean, one of the things that one of the, for for a zombie film, uh, yeah. or, or, well, a, a zombie infection type film. Um, yeah, it's really interesting how, and it's Tom Eberhard, isn't it? You pronounce it. Yes. that's the writer director of the film. Eberhard. He went, went on to do yeah. Honey I Blew Up the Kids, is most notable, I suppose. He did. Yes, he did. Um, so. What I thought was really interesting about Night of the Comet, well, what I think is interesting about Night of the Comet is, obviously, like you say, you've got the two sisters and they're kind of, there's there's two very different storylines in the opening 10 minutes. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure the production didn't, production budget didn't get to that many extras. So what what they what they used for the for the Night of the Comet is brilliant, the way they mixed that mm-hmm. kind of archive footage. But then yeah. the first zombie we see mm-hmm. is, I mean, I think we can spoil a 1984 film. Yeah. Um, the first zombie is, is uh, the guy from the cinema opens the door and we're just confronted with a zombie. Like there's no, there's no if no buts. Yeah, and there's not hundreds of them. It's just one wielding a monkey wrench. <laughs> yeah, the the the, the rules of, of of the zombies and this are, 
interesting because they have a, an element of intelligence mm. um, and some rudimentary speech as well. And then when they get to the mall, they can, there's zombies there. Who can- Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. can actually speak like normally essentially um and and that zombie the first zombie you see in the alley it's, it's called the alley zombie he is iconic he's on a lot of the artwork and in fact in in the walking dead there was one episode where you see him because because whoever the director was at the time was like night of the comet so put that zombie dressed like that in an episode which, which i thought was great um and yeah and i've spoken to like the director tommy Bahart a bunch of times we're pen pals now he sends me film recommendations because a lot of these were it's like a 50s throwback like a lot of things from the 80s there's a 30-year cycle and it's a throwback to those 50s films of you know nuclear um kind of explosions and 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 fear so um he 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 sends me like films to watch from the 50s and the 60s so um yeah it's 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 really really cool no, it, it is, and it's it's um, it it gets the humour out, and also um, as someone, oh, there we go. There's the first the first bell on us. Obviously, seeing lots of retro '80s stuff as someone that grew up yep. in the '80s, mm-hmm. going back to a film that is actually so quintessentially '80s, even though it's a it's a it's a it's a disaster movie, you know, a nightmare dystopia that we that we get mm-hmm. to see it through. It still is quintessentially an '80s movie, you know. I mean, right down. And one yeah. thing I know. I mean, this is going to be, you know, and it's not given your level of involvement with the film. Now, this isn't too far geeky, but um, I forget the actor's name. But one of the government officials, she's mm-hmm. the one who administers the serum and takes the blood samples. Um, um, Mary Warrenoff. Yeah, Mary Warrenoff. When you first see her in the bunker, she's wearing leg warmers mm-hmm. for no reason that I, no good reason, 
other than it's the eighties. Yeah, that, that's 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 so funny. That is so funny. And like she's she, wearing a military um, boiler suit, but she's got leg warmers on. Like, she, yeah. <laughs> and she's you know she she's like she's ubiquitous in eighties movies. She's in eating Raoul and shopping mm. mall as well. Basically, plays the same character and everything. But, she, but yeah, she's she she's great. Mm. The, enti- the entire cast, Chakotay from Star Trek's in it as well. Um, oh, it's, so, it's, so, it's such a, a a great fun movie. If you haven't seen it before, next year's the fortieth anniversary, so mm. um, it's about time you checked it out. Indeed, indeed. Well, moving three years up the eighties eighties ladder to nineteen eighty seven to mm-hmm. a film that I think. He's up there with films I've seen the most on VHS, I think it's safe to say, would be Evil mm-hmm. Dead 2. Do you want to talk to what that, yes. how, where that is important in sort of your... Evil Dead 2, whew, I mean, it's one of the most important movies, it, full stop. I mean, neither comes my favourite movie, but Evil Dead 2 is probably the most important in terms of me being a filmmaker. Because mm-hmm. it showed me that you could have, you could mix... And I saw Evil Dead 2 before Night of the Comet. So um, it showed me you could do horror and comedies together. And it, sh- it showed me you could have fun as well. And I didn't really know the st- story behind it when I first watched it as a kid. Um, that, you know, and I hadn't seen Evil, I didn't see Evil Dead 1 until way, way later. But, you know, the story of a, a group of friends uh, going somewhere and making stuff together without any rules is kind of what I've been doing kind of in, in my film career as well. And, yeah. And uh, like one thing I didn't mention in 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 the talk with Prano is that like I've spoken to Sam Raimi a lot, especially over the last six months, where we me and him talk a lot, and he is um, you know he he teaches me a few things um, and he advises me on things as well, and just having that knowledge, you know, imparting that knowledge on me, uh, and he's someone I respect the most, my favorite director. Is is really important, and you know, you know, I can't, you know, I'm very, very lucky to have someone like Sam Raimi like being my mentor, mm. which is crazy. But like, it, it's important because, like, it's it's strange because it doesn't follow some of the rules of horror movies because it's one of the few films where the f- it's not a final girl, it's a final boy. Yeah, and um, and we still empathize with that character. We still enjoy the process. And uh, yeah, and like everyone's seen it, so you don't need me to like, sell it to you. But it's the story of uh, a guy going to the cabin with his friends and his girlfriend. Uh, they read from a book called the Necronomicon, call forth the deadites, and um, it's essentially a siege movie in, in a cabin in the woods. And the mythology that Raimi um, kind of creates, the Evil Dead. Still has reverberations now because there's this. We get a new Evil Dead film shortly, and we have um, Ash vs. the Evil Dead TV show. There's video games. There's something about those films, those uh, original trilogy that people absolutely love. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been inspired to become a filmmaker from Sam Raimi. I'm sure there was most horror filmmakers saw what he did with with those movies yeah i guess um, that when you say it like that it's, i guess before sort of rodriguez and smith and and um link later mm-hmm. in the early 90s sam raimi was one of those outliers in terms of the he did it he did it himself first and did it yeah where he was kind of learning as he went just in the same way those guys were in the in the 90s in the early 90s 
Yeah, exactly. And 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 he he wears his influences on on his sleeve as well. That's another thing I take from from Raimi, like his slapstick, uh, Three Stooges influences. He doesn't care about putting that into a horror movie, um, even though some people it might be jarring. But all of a sudden, there's a slapstick scene where the Deadites are trying to poke out Ash's eyes, and he and he and you know he does the the Three Stooges thing. It's um yeah, it's 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 an amazing amazing trilogy of movies um and yeah one of the first vhs's that i bought my own money as well so yeah it's really important because i think it made me the filmmaker i am today i'm trying to be if if it's not too out of question to sort of answer where do you see the dna of this film in your filmmaking what where where does it where does it appear for you um to me it's like having humor in in a quite serious subject like even in the original evil dead um there is uh that that's a little bit more serious um but he he kind of walks the line of being serious serious subject with comedy and like if you just look in ho- a host it's funny host is funny even though you know it's it's pretty bleak and it's pretty dark the things that happen to these ladies and um they all kind of you know meet their demise or, or so you think so you know I love seeing humor in, in in horror to give it some levity and to make it more realistic. Because I don't know about you, but my in, in a scary situation, I'm one of those people who try and 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 make people laugh. I, I try to kind of bring some levity into it, and that you see that in Host, and you see that in Evil Dead Two as well. <laughs> uh, Raimi has he there's funny things happening, even though you know it's it's scary and and. Um, it's a guy like losing his girlfriend. It's losing his friends. Horrible things happen. Um, yeah. No, it is. It is. And, and I hadn't even thought about it until talking to you now, like, but in a way, Evil Dead 2 is very similar to, say, Desperado in the sense of what was learned in the first iteration became the next film, became, you know, the, the sort of yeah. studio with the studio, you know, with some studio input and stuff. It's like, well, yeah, that's what like dash dashcam was very influenced by Evil Dead Two, just the absolutely breakneck speed of like how we throw everything at you. It's um, yeah, if Evil Dead One toast, then Evil Dead Two is dashcam essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, third on your choice, we go back a year to 1986's Labyrinth, directed by Jim Henson and mm-hmm. written by Monty Python's Terry Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my favourite scripts, to be honest with you. I think it's I think it's, yeah. a work, I think it's a work of genius. But uh, mm-hmm. do you want to talk to how where that where that is uh, is impacting on you as an adult now? Yeah, well, La- Labyrinth is yeah, as you know, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I don't think it will ever slip out of my top five. It's uh, one of those films I used to come home from school and watch from VHS every single day, um, because it's one of those films that just it, it just has that sense of wonder that we don't get from films anymore. Mm. It's um, you know, it's the, it's, it's the classic hero's journey um, storyline. But uh, for the for those that haven't seen Labyrinth, uh, please watch it as soon as possible. It's about a thirteen-year-old girl who um, whose brother's taken by goblins into the into uh, the labyrinth. She has to follow him in there and uh, get to the goblin castle before the time runs out. Where the goblin king is, um, you know, he's pretty obsessed with her. Is holding her little brother Toby. And she encounters lots of uh, crazy characters and traps along the way. 
And uh, it's really kind of her journey of, of self-discovery and of growing up. And it's amazing. And, and you know, Jim Henson and Jim Henson's Creature Shop are just, just my jam. And um, everything everything about this film just inspires me, mm. uh, especially working with creatures. And, and as you know, in for, for Ghosts, I've worked with Jim Henson's Creature Shop. And I'm going to continue to work with them in the future. And... Um, and yeah, and, and and labyrinth specifically is a is a is something that I speak to them a lot about. I speak to, I mean, there's hardly anyone there at, at the creature shop who works on labyrinth now. But um, um, actually, you know, in a few weeks, I am actually meeting someone who was one of the puppeteers on labyrinth, which is really cool. But um, there is so much to talk talk about. On, on, on this film, like obviously David Bowie, I'm a big Bowie fan, and he's the Goblin King. The songs are incredible. That soundtrack is out of this world. I listen to it all the time. But you know, it's just creating believable three-dimensional characters out of uh foam and latex rubber. It's incredible. Even even the little worm. You know, the worm's called Monique. People don't know, but if you look at the Labyrinth Wiki, that a worm is called Monique. It's actually a lady, weirdly. Um so yeah, there's the stuff I'm still discovering about Labyrinth every day, and it's trying to capture that sense of wonder that Labyrinth gives me is something I I, I try to do. And I mean, a lot of the times you can do that with puppets because it's kind of otherworldly. But um, yeah, just like that sense of adventure that you had in those mid '80s films uh, like Fly of the Navigator, Goonies, um, Explorers. Uh, we just don't have that anymore. I was going to say, I mean, but even yeah. that kind of pure fantasy world. I mean, even like Ridley Scott's Legend, um, love Legend. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, I can speak to being like there when the, you know when this come out, mm-hmm. and the eighties being the kind of cynical decade that it was, mm-hmm. and David Bowie being this rock god. There was it kind of skewered a lot of popular opinion at the time. Mm-hmm. But what's amazing is that the film has only grown in reputation over the years. Like it's considered to be. a you know, I don't think it was like maligned or any to any great yeah. degree, but I think its love for it has grown rather than there was love at the very there was absolute love for it. The same as Legend, I think as well. I think both films yeah. were were not what the eighties wanted in some senses. In uh, as much as you say there wasn't, we might have lost some wonder, but I think that might have been the last vestiges of that kind of wonder. I think so. Yeah, and you know, especially with Legend, like the Tangerine Dream, one of those bands who did soundtracks that instilled a sense of wonder like in, into the films that they did the soundtracks for. Mm. I'm obsessed with Tangerine Dream. I know there's two versions of the soundtrack of Legend, yeah, yeah. but the Tangerine Dream one's the one I, I love the most. Um, but uh, yeah, like if I can somehow capture some of that wonder and 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 fantasy and and you know just just the, the excitement of the uh, of the unknown and all, the, all these adventures in my films, then, then that's what I want to do. In fact, I, I touched upon it in the talk of Prano with a project I just finished and picture locked on um, that I'm doing for a, a, a particular streamer is very much a throwback to those films. Mm. Um, so it, I, I try to instill that sense of wonder that there's, there's gritty realism, which, and then moves into this world of wonder um very much the labyrinth kind of um uh format 
So, um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, so I guess, I, I guess a bit like, I mean, not, it's not quite as dark as say like a time bandits, which again yeah. has that kind of childlike wonder. That's very cynical. That's yeah. extreme. I mean, cynical. the end, the end of that film is, is, is proper nightmare stuff. You know, it's the opposite of any fairy tale. Um, yeah, in a way, I, whereas I still love it though. I absolutely oh, love no, it. That's my yeah. favorite movie. Yeah, even though John Cleese has kind of uh, gone off the boil a little bit in recent. Well, no, I'm, I'm just I'm loving the art, not the artist. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my that's my approach to that one. Yeah, yeah. Again, just to geek out a little, rewatching Labyrinth before speaking to you, um, it was amazing to spot s- script stuff in there that I'd not seen before. So, for mm-hmm. example, when when she saves Ludo, yeah. I had not clocked the setup of it was his screaming bringing the stones to her that then obviously become the oh, rocks that then oh. become the rocks and obviously become the boulders. Yes. You know the, the 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 boulders and the rocks at the end I got yeah. but that I'd yeah. miss I've, I must have missed every time that really wow and it's yeah, just because no, obviously I'm thinking I'm talking to you about it I'm like watching it with a different brain and oh, suddenly I'm like so bloody hell look that's an amazing little just a, without any sort of hint of exposition it's just like I'm giving you a clue watcher yeah. I'm giving you a clue. And, and and how they make Ludo, who he doesn't say a single word, he just has noises, making him such a lovable character. That's that's only something that the the creature shop can do, and, mm. and Jim Henson, and like all of those creatures, Hoggle as well. Like I remember, like ten years ago, where Hoggle was found in 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 an airport, lost and lost and found, uh, pro- lost property in an airport, and I contacted the airport to try and buy Hoggle because <laughs> they. Uh, but it, it, he he was a mess. But you know, someone's bought him now and 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 kind of fixed him up. But I, I love this film so much. I would I would buy Hoggle. But um, the um, I, I just I want to see more from this world. I know some people would rather you, you don't touch things like Labyrinth, but it doesn't spoil the original to kind of make a sequel or to make some extra um, media based on the world mm. um, of Labyrinth because it's such a rich world, and I want to get back into it. So if I have any, um, one of my missions is to do something labyrinth, uh, you know, inspired. So can I? I mean, I know the time's up here, but just one last question because of something you said yep. when we were talking about this. If you could be talking to the kid that come home from school and watch labyrinth every day, mm-hmm. how would you explain what you're doing right now? And having worked with you know work with the, the 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 creature workshop and everything, how do you explain that to that person? <laughs> Yeah, you know it's 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 difficult to comp- it's difficult to comprehend. Like, like now I'm like mates with my favorite director Sam Raimi, yeah. and I'm working with, with the Creature Shot. I don't know, but you know, like people tell me, people who I grew up with, people I went to school with, people who I worked with previously, they said, "Oh, like we we always saw this in you. We like we knew this would happen because you were always talking about these things." So. Um, but because I'm experiencing it myself, I don't necessarily appreciate it as much as I should. Mm. Um, not that I take it for granted, but because I'm just like living it, I think at some point when I stop working and I stop doing stuff, I look back and think, wow, I kind of, I did a lot of the things that I really dreamed about when I was a kid, like mm. they've all kind of come true. And, and even just like hosts, like when me and Rob first started making short films, our aim was to make a scary movie that people would like and first film out of the gate it, like we got one of the scariest movies of all time um and you know it's on a lot of lists of best horror movies of all time already already that like 
without even you know waiting a decade it's appreciated yeah 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 um so it yeah it it's difficult to to comprehend and it's very surreal and because it most of it happened in lockdown it's um even more surreal because we didn't actually really experience any of the things that surround having a, a successful film because we didn't we didn't have like a big premiere it just dropped unceremoniously on on shutter so we didn't really have stuff like that um so i did yeah, must admit i did i did like i did like your little anecdote about um when you were talking to prano about how well we can't show it in cinemas because it's only 55 56 minutes long and then it, it becomes a hit and they go can we show it in the cinemas please yeah. and you're like okay so that rule was what made up for nothing <laughs> It, it's made up for nothing. It's because I think people have a perceived value of uh, a cinema ticket and they expect, because of we're just used to it, or being a cinema for a certain time. Um, but, you know, like, and cinemas are scared of changing things, but I doubt anyone's going to ask for their money back after Bush and Host. Mm. I, I, I doubt someone's going to go, oh, there should have been an extra 10 minutes. I want my money back. And if so, don't go watch a 56-minute movie. No one's got a gun to your head. No one's telling you to watch these films. Um, but you know, like it, yeah, it played around the world, Asia, Russia, like it, it played, it played absolutely everywhere, and um, you know, it resonated with a lot of people. So, and it's a found footage movie as well, which is which is crazy. And it's, it's my yeah, yeah, yeah. You managed to because I mean, yeah. I've watched, I've been covered Fright Fest a lot. I've watched a lot of found footage films, you know, and there's a there's there's a quality spectrum which goes far and wide, and it's not off, doesn't yeah. always hit the good side of the quality spectrum. Because you can see it's just a cheap way of making a film, as exactly. opposed to mm-hmm. the found footage is the reason to make the film. If you know what I mean, the, the story yeah. is driving the story of the found footage is driving the film, as exactly. opposed to sticking a camera on someone's head. Well, it, it's weird there. There really is a, a thing where it's every ten years a found footage film comes along, every seven years or something, a found footage film comes along that kind of breaks out, and mm. you know, it's Blair Witch and wreck paranormal activity and then i think i think host is, is, it was the next one yeah 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 um yeah because in between um, those years i was surprised that say like the conspiracy didn't didn't get to break out a bit more because oh, yeah. i thought, cause I thought yeah. it was a super smart one yeah, yeah. For, for sure and oh and that's one of the other things that, that have come out of all of this like now i'm mates with eduardo sanchez the director writer of of the witch project and we're working together on oh on, my word on stuff yeah and um, and like he, and I'm, I'm allowed to say, cause he said it first on Twitter, um, that we're trying to get a Blair Witch TV show together. Mm. So, um, and we've, we've talked about it. We, we, he's told me what he wants from like the pilot episode. He's told me who he's already got to be in it. Uh, we just need it. We just need it greenlit. And obviously, you know, it's the studio that, that owns the rights to the Blair Witch project, mm. not Eduardo. Um, so yeah, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna keep trying to work with my favorite people since I since I was a kid, and and, that, and that's the beauty of being a, a no no I love I love the fact yeah. talking to you now it hasn't it hasn't changed your relationship to the source material either I think that's a really oh, no. powerful message from this conversation is that you've kind of enjoyed the films as a fan and mm-hmm. then you've got to look under the bonnet with the people that made it and it's only made it more exciting. Yeah, and I am one hundred percent a fan first and, and a filmmaker mm. second. I, I just love horror movies, and I was I was being truthful when I said in that Q and A with Prano that I carry around a piece of the Blair Witch House everywhere I go mm. as a good luck charm. 
So I just ha- always have that in my jacket pocket or my jean pocket. Mm. Um, cause it's, it's my connection to like, um, a film where if, if that film hadn't happened, host wouldn't have happened. Mm. So, and I kind of owe everything to host. So, you know, I mean, I've been, I've been working with, um, the producer, Keith Bell, who did like, you know, did dog soldiers, the descent, Harry Brown. Yeah. And, and he, his advice, or it's not his advice as such, but his sort of pick me up whenever it's kind of, whenever I'm sort of feeling a bit kind of, it's not going right. Something that and the other, he says, <laughs> you know, the important thing is we're defined. We, the only thing we define is our taste, which is what we curate our lives through, you know? Yeah. And that's what makes us, that's hopefully what translates into making whatever we make interesting because it's a fusion, whether we're conscious or subconscious of it. Yeah. And nobody can take that away from you because you've already done it. <laughs> the, the only thing that can take it away from you is if, say, for example, you, you're writing to somebody else's idea of, of what a film should be. For instance, if people listen to critics, for instance, mm. we'd, we'd, we would never have any good art because critics have their own opinion and, and usually all of critics kind of mush into one opinion of what's the right thing for films to, to be at that time. Um, so if, if you, and this is why I say for as long as possible, keep your nine to five job if you are a filmmaker, because it will give you a safety net where you're not relying on trying to please people. Mm. Um, you are only relying on, on, on your imagination and, and that should have no limits. So um, yeah, I, I, I personally think do not try and lean into trends. Do not do what you think the critics will like. That is a one-way road to disaster. Um, write what you like, because you're the one who's going to have to live with this film forever. So um, if you're writing to what other people like, then you're just going to not like that film. Like I'm always thinking of me looking back when I'm an old, old, old man in a, in a nursing home or something. I want to look back and think, oh, that, I can't believe we got away with that. I can't believe we, we made that film. Um, because the, all my favorite filmmakers just make the films that have their unique signature on it. Mm. And um, yeah. I mean, this is not a scientific proof of any of this, but my mm-hmm. two of my favorite films are Ridley Scott's The Counselor and mm-hmm. Nicholas Van Ruffin's Only God Forgives. Oh, now, wow. Okay. If you go on Amazon and look at the, the, the results of what people have bought it, yeah. they have the same curve of like star ratings where mm-hmm. 25% of viewers give it five. Mm-hmm. And then it curves into sort of nearly nothing when you get into like three stars, and then it butts out, and it's like forty odd percent of people have said one star. And I think mm-hmm. maybe that's the that's the films that I like are the are the ones where there's a strong opinion both ways. It's not like oh yeah, my favorite my favorite type of movies are the ones who have like fifty percent of Rotten Tomatoes, but but a real strong curve, like yeah. loads of the fives, loads of ones. Yeah, because I'm just like wow, like what is because it's got a reaction, hasn't it? It's it's it's, yeah. it's managed to to poke the hornet's nest in your imagination, whether that be for good yeah. or for bad. The, the the worst rating you could get is just everyone's in three or two and a half. Because what's the point of making a film like that? Like, um, so yeah, so yeah, like, um, what I'm trying to do is, is making exciting films that I would want to watch and and stuff that isn't out there. Because if if you're following trends. It, like by the time you make the film, that trend will be over. So um, you always have to think of what's next or what what's next for you and what, what you want to see next. Well, look, sir, I'm sure we could talk about the the state of horror genre for as long as there's there's breath in our voices. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I won't, I won't make you do that. Uh, <laughs> I'll just thank you very much for sharing your three films that impacted everything in adult life. And uh, cool. thank you for coming on the podcast. Cheers, Stuart. Appreciate it, mate. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.